welcome everybody to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I am here with the one and only Dr. Eleanor Green. Uh, Eleanor is someone that I have admired my entire career just because she has done so many things. Um, and, and we get into that right at the very beginning and start to sort of lay down what her bio is. Um, guys, I am I am a perpetual optimist. I am. I, I love vet medicine. I am big on the future of vet medicine. I, I know it's hard, and you guys have all heard me talk about the challenges of vet medicine. I still love it, and I still think it's great, and I still think it's sad that um, that oftentimes I, I feel like we focus on the downsides and not a, and not enough on the on the upsides of what makes it really good. And so this is, if you feel that way, this is a great conversation. So at first we kind of start off talking at a high level, but then uh, Eleanor just starts to kind of unpack her ideas and we get kind of down the rabbit hole a little bit. And she is just so, she is so inspiring. You know, we were talking after the podcast was over and I wish this was on the podcast, but um, you know, so when she was the Dean at Texas A&M's College of Vet Medicine, she asked her incoming students or her students and there were there were, it was like a, a sample of 500 vet students she said raise your hand if you were discouraged from becoming a veterinarian and 495 of the 500 students raised their hands and she asked who discouraged you and they said other veterinarians and uh, and I, I get it again like you this should not be a path that you undertake lightly but in another way as, as someone who just loves our profession and what we do I go oh man I really um I want to, I want to spread the positivity. I, I want to spread the light. I, I, I want to change the change the story a little bit and be more honest about the balance of good and bad and how darn rewarding this profession can be. So anyway, uh, that's that's what we get into in this conversation, guys. I hope you will enjoy it. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Eleanor Green. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. This will be fun today. Oh man, what a treat for me! You know, I have always admired you. You were uh, you were on the on the faculty at the University of Florida when I was a vet student there. Um, I have seen your career from afar. You've been a, you're a veterinarian. You have been in private practice. You've been in academia. You were the dean at Texas A and M's College of Veterinary Medicine. You've had a consulting career. Uh, you are now the founding dean at Lyon College uh, School of Veterinary Medicine, and um, and I. I got the opportunity to talk with you. I what I want to talk to you about was you're also writing articles, and I saw one of your pieces that just spoke to me immediately, and it was titled uh, "A Profession in Crisis." I think not. And I, as a fan of optimism and positivity, and a lover of vet medicine, I wanted to talk to you kind of about where your head was in that regard, and sort of what inspired you to, to write the article. Well, thank you, Andy. Uh, again, it must be mutual admiration because I'm I'm so pleased with everything that you're doing in the profession. It's always great to see a good University of Florida graduate get out there and affect the practice uh, of veterinary medicine and the whole profession, just like you are. So the article, you know, we have all looked around and seen headlines. And these headlines are dominated by descriptions of challenges. In fact, veterinary medicine has been called a profession in crisis. And I am not saying that we shouldn't look at our challenges, try to make our profession better, and tackle each one individually and appropriately. But I think there's so much sensationalism about the negativity of this profession that I think it's having an adverse effect on the profession. 
And that worries me because I think this is one of the most fulfilling professions that's out there. It's still highly ranked. You know, veterinarians are are looked at uh, more favorably than medical doctors, and they're seen to be more compassionate and understanding and approachable on so many of the things. And they're seen as contributing to society. And so I I think that we really need to take a hard look at that as veterinarians, because I think we're hurting the profession by being so focused and sensationalizing the negativity. Yeah. One of my favorite pieces of advice that I've gotten in my life is uh, your life is what you focus on. Yes. And so if you if you walk around looking at, you know, looking at the negativity and you just focus on it, that's that's what your life is going to be. And again, you can say that without discounting, you know, real problems and real struggles uh, that that people have. But I just I think that that's I think that that's really important when when you think about education. So you come out of being the dean at Texas A&M, you're you're the founding dean at a new school. Um, Talk to me about sort of about how you with the mindset that you hope to instill in vet students. What does that look like? And and how do you go about trying to set a set a mentality that says, yes, this is challenging. You're about to do a hard job, but but it's a great job. How How do you put that together? Well, I think I think we certainly need to get to vet students early on and maybe day one. And I don't know if you remember this, but at University of Florida, the first day of the freshman year at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine, we had a session that was co-sponsored with the Florida Veterinary Medical Association that brought in some veterinarians from different walks of professional life. And we certainly handpicked them to be the ones who are the very enthusiastic lovers of this profession. And we had them talk to the students. And so there was a, a purpose of that. And one is welcoming them to a wonderful profession showing them and showcasing some veterinarians who have had unbelievable careers and throughout their profession, they're still enormously fulfilled in all walks of life. And the other thing was to open their eyes to the many opportunities in veterinary medicine are out there because so many of us think of veterinary medicine as just taking care of pets. And that's enormously important. I don't want to minimize that at all, but veterinarians can do almost anything. And so I think that we need to make sure that students know that. I think the other thing that we need to let them know is that um, the education can be taxing because of so much volume and that we're here to help them. We got support for them. We've got peer support. We've got, you know, counselors. We've got all kinds of ways that if they're having any struggles, we are there for them. And there are actually a lot of programs that are going on now beyond veterinary school that can provide a lot of support for veterinary who are struggling. What do you what do you see as the main pitfalls as sort of trying to drag our mentality out of the, you know, profession in crisis and sort of start to look at, at things as a I don't know, to look at things in a more balanced way. What what sort of holds people back? Well, let me um let me just tell you what veterinarians have been telling me. Uh, You know, I polled a bunch of veterinarians and have been doing this for quite some time. This is not official. I haven't sent out a form. I've just talked to people. And I've asked them several questions. I've said, what do you like most about this profession? What do you like the least? And if you could change one thing, what would it be? And 
And I also asked them if they would encourage or discourage others from becoming veterinarians. And there were common themes across the first three questions. One is they were committed to the human-animal bond, and they were very fulfilled by being part of the happiness that animals bring to people. They love that. They love taking care of animals and taking care of their clients as well. We talk about some people have criticized the profession that all they care about is animals, but there are people with every animal. That's not what I found. They love taking care of the clients and their needs also. And really what they love is the experiencing the happy outcomes. They love it when things go well. Um, They also enjoyed a variety in the practice, never a dull moment. It's just not going and doing the same thing every day. And here's another one that really keeps you um, stimulated. They love the intrigue of the mystery of unraveling the cases. Isn't that neat? And they also got, this is going to be surprising for some who are critical of, uh, of perhaps the new graduates, but the veterinarians of all ages appreciated the work ethic within the profession. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's true. That, that, that resonates with me. Yeah, it does with me too. And then here's one that I really, really love. A striking component was that the empathy was plentiful within the veterinary medicine in a world where many have lost empathy. I think we ought to say that one again. Empathy is plentiful in our profession in a world where many have lost empathy. Now, if that's not a reason to join this profession, I don't know what is. Yeah, I I, I love it. You know, one, one of the big pieces of advice that I, I offer to vet students these days, and it's sort of come to me in just in the last year or two, is uh, I think you have to enjoy the mundane. And what I mean is, yeah. it's just going into the room and doing the wellness appointment, and you got to enjoy that pet, and you have to enjoy that person, and just genuinely, you know, take pleasure in, in helping them and sort of being there and being present. But I really do think if you focus down on those things, it's a really good job. It's a hard job. I um I am not one of the people who enjoys the mystery. Uh, I am <laughs> one who I enjoy fixing the problem. I will tell you, just for me, like the ability to put hands on a pet and fix the problem to make this animal comfortable, send this person away with one less problem than they had when they came in. That that's it for me. I guess probably I was just never the the sharpest clinicians, or I, but I was always I very much prefer to know what the answer is and be able to do it as opposed to trying to figure it out. But um, you sound like that's, a surgeon. I do. I, uh, you know, I had this, uh, I had this thought, I had this thought, you know, I, it's funny. I was, I was telling someone recently, you know, there's two kinds of doctors. There's the, the the doctor that looks at the vomiting cat and says, boy, I need to know why that cat's vomiting. And there's the other kind that looks and says, uh, looks at the vomiting cat and says, I need to know how to make that cat stop vomiting. And I am definitely the latter of the two, which is how do I make it stop vomiting? Yeah. You know, interestingly, I started out in surgery. Everybody in my family is a human surgeon, and I thought that's what I wanted to do. And I did. I love surgery. But I was so, and this was a number of years ago, I was very frustrated by not knowing what was going on in the whole animal. I ended up yeah. internal medicine and music play because I'm one of those ones that loves the mystery and loves the unraveling and loves the critical care and the adjusting this and that happens. And that's, uh, but it's a different mentality. But back to why veterinary medicine is so intriguing and appealing is that there's something for everyone, regardless of yeah. your way of thinking. Yeah. I, I love one of the questions you asked. You know, you said, if you could change one thing in medicine, what would it be? Let me ask you that question, Eleanor. What, what would, if you could change one thing in vet medicine, what would you change? You know, um, if I could change one thing about this profession or the veterinarians within it, I would, I would 
never want to give up the traditionalism and the dedication, but I would want to add a lot more interest in the future and receptivity to the innovations in a, in a change, changing world that's actually changing at an exponential rate. And somehow we seem reluctant, not only organizationally, but sometimes individually, to be receptive to the new things that are possible in our profession. That's the one thing I would love to change. Yeah, I, I, that's a great answer. Hey guys, I have some huge news for my technicians out there. Guys, I am speaking at the NAVC Vet Nurse Plus Tech Hive event in Austin, Texas. This is October 16th through the 18th. It is live in person in Austin, Texas. Uh, it is 25 bucks to register, but I got you hooked up. There's a promo code. It's just Andy, promo code Andy, and you get it for $15, $15 registration for the event. I'm gonna be there. I have my friend Meg Pearson, who is an improv comedian and actress. Uh, you will recognize her from some of my funny videos. She is hilarious. She's gonna be role-playing with me. I've got four sessions. We are gonna do what to say and how to say it when talking to difficult clients, when uh, talking up to management, when talking to doctors, and when talking to colleagues. And so all of those challenging conversations, we are gonna be not just talking through how to do it, but I'm gonna try to do it for you and show you what it looks like. And I promise we are gonna laugh and have a lot of fun, but it's gonna be a great time. I'd love to be, uh, I'd love to see you there. Remember promo code Andy, get 10 bucks off come out and see me. Also, if you are a technician team lead, if you're any type of team lead, come and see me at the Uncharted Team Lead Summit. This is a one-day virtual summit. It's only for team leads. Guys, we put team leads up there and we want them to lead and motivate and manage and take care of problems and take care of patients. And also, we hold them accountable to management, but then also they're accountable to the people that they're leading. And we don't give them any leadership uh, training or support. Guys, it's time for that to be over. Uncharted is dedicated to making team leads successful. It's a new world, it's a team game. We need to be investing into our leads and that's what we wanna do. So if you're a team lead, come and check out our virtual summit. It's November the 8th. I'll put a link in the show notes over to Uncharted. One day, virtual, check it out, work with other team leads. I promise you're gonna get a ton out of it. Let's get back into this episode. I've heard you speak passionately about you know, lions and what you sort of envision there and 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 how it's uh, ideally going to be a, a different sort of education model and things like that. Can you talk a little bit as you talk about, you know, innovation and, and openness to change and things? Uh, can you tell me a little bit about sort of how you envision uh, edu yeah. education in vet school and kind of where it's going? Yeah, I will. I want to talk about lion. But even before I do that, I want to throw out one thing, adaptability. When we were on the Veterinary Futures Commission, we were looking at core competencies and what should they be for the future. And the one new core competency we added was adaptability. And that's something else I've gotten intrigued with. I actually lecture on this, but there's a thing called adaptability quotient, which actually has been shown now to trump EQ and IQ. And, and it, is, it is the success of businesses. It's the success of individuals of the future. And so I think one thing that we need to do at Lion is make sure that we're not, that we're recruiting for adaptability. But in addition to that, adaptability is trainable. So we are training for adaptability. And then within practices, I would say not only recruit and retain for, but also evaluate for. And I think that's going to change this big um, 
stumbling block for our profession as, in, as, as we enter the future. Now, back to Lion, one thing that um, I'm pretty excited about and the reason that I'm, I'm the dean at Lion is that they have given me pretty much a, a blank slate within reason to create a veterinary education model of the future. What's that going to look like? I'm going to get a lot of people together to add to some opinions that I have because I'm always very open to the opinions of others. So we haven't shaped it finally. But in essence, what I want to do conceptually is I want to create a, a community of collaborators, not a community of competitors. I want to make learning fun and create lifelong learners who are curious and who love the process rather than who are struggling and taken down by memorizing a thousand things for anatomy. You know, um, medical information doubles every 73 days with a half-life of 18 to 24 months. We are not going to have them memorize everything they need to know. We can't. So what we uh. need to do is we need to expose them, teach them how to access information and how to use it and how to interpret it and how to apply it. That's the future. And when and then the other piece of that, and pardon me for going on, I could do this for three. No, I love great, it. Is that, is that, you know, I, I've seen some struggles in higher education about what do we do about AI and chat GBT because there are certainly some detrimental parts and potential for cheating and there are some who are trying to fence students away from that. I want to block down all those fences and I want us to teach students how to use AI and how to use chat GBT and how to use it ethically and what are some of the pitfalls. That's their life. We can't keep it from them. We have to teach them how to use it. So things like that. Um, there's more. I mean, simulation. I think we got to minimize the use of live animals in teaching till they get to patients. So I think they need to get really good. We've got wonderful simulations today with the, um, and so I'd love to have an experiential and simulation based learning center in a collaborative way. I think we need to share. I don't think we need to recreate all the wheels. We need to share with other schools and not just schools, but industry. And there are a lot of people out there doing wonderful things that we ought to bring in to our educational process. So like I said, I could go on and on. I'll stop there and I can crank back up anytime you want. No, I, I, I love it. I, that, uh, I, I love where your head's at. I love the collaborative approach. I, 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 all of this just resonates with me so much. I, is we're, uh, as far as like chat GPT and artificial intelligence, we're not putting the genie back in the bottle. The best thing we can do is train practitioners to, to utilize the tools that they have. And as, as you said, in an ethical and helpful way. I just, I, I just, I love where your head's at. Let me, I want to ask you to back up for a second a little bit. I'm going to go back to adaptability because uh, I think that's really interesting about adaptability quotient and, and kind of how, how this is such an important strength. Can you give me an example of what adaptability looks like in the clinic? Help, help me, help me understand what that looks like in a doctor or in a technician that I see on the floor. Well, adaptability are curious. They use the uh, challenge of change as opportunity and they use that uh, for excitement to move forward and do something good. They're risk takers. They want to try the new things. They don't say no. They say, let me think about it. So they consider new things or they say yes to new things and say, yes, let's try it. And then if it doesn't yeah. work, that's great. All you've done is, is uh, made yourself better by finding something that didn't work. And I think they're, they're team players. They, they tend to... Um, collaborate more with others. They're inspirational for others. So that's what an adaptable person looks like. And that's what an adaptable business looks like as well. No, that, that absolutely makes sense. So um, 
when you when you kind of look into your crystal ball and you sort of see the profession and kind of where it's going, what are you what are you most excited about outside of uh, of the vet schools? Are there things when you look five years into the future? How do you see our profession functioning differently than it does today? Well, um, you know, this is another dream. I don't know if this is a dream I'll fulfill. Maybe I will. I hope I will. I would love to create the hospital of the future as a okay. as a functioning hospital, but also a demonstration hospital, because there are so many great things available to us today that when you're in busy life and you're trying to look at the bottom line and what's the return on investment and how can any patients that I see, you know, it's hard to raise your head up and look at what's possible and what could be implemented new. Telemedicine's one great example of that. That's just one tiny example. Uh, digital health is another. Um, how do we how do we integrate and, and provide connected care? But wouldn't it be fun to create one hospital that has the technologies that are available to us today to provide connected care, integrated care? And and again, I'd I'd love to do that where you get veterinarians who are operating in that that sphere, but we also have companies and other people with new things who can bring those new things to this hospital and sort of demonstrate what they have out there. And that is going to accelerate the growth of some of our startup companies are quite frankly struggling with with adoption. They've got a great yeah. product and it's just hard to get people to adopt it. And so if and yet um, we don't have time in practice to try everything that comes along. And so if we can find a place where we can be the ones who are trying some of these things and then saying, you're going to love this. Yeah. We'll work on this one a little more. But wouldn't that be fun? And wouldn't that be a great um, facility to have in association with a vet school? Yeah. Oh, that I love this vision. I said, as I'm sort of a change junkie, and so all of this gets me super excited. Yeah. Do you think we're coming to a place of a of a bit of a reset? And so, what what I mean when I say that is, you know, traditionally we, we've had there's a traditional vet practice, which is what pops into your mind when yeah. you think of a vet practice. And I think that people have have done a, a good job, or at least they've tried to to upgrade different pieces. But it's almost kind of patchwork. You know, we had the traditional model, and we've kind of slapped a patch on it, slapped a patch on it. At some point, you know, in my career, I've looked at different projects I've run or programs or businesses businesses. And I keep upgrading them, upgrading. And at some point, I finally stop and just reset. I go, look, this is all built on an old operating system. I'm going to I'm gonna shut it all down for a moment and then start absolutely brand new fresh. Do you see something like that coming in our profession as, yeah. as technology continues to advance? You know, I do. And I think it is going to be technology driven. And, and just one tiny example, and this is an asset, not a, not a criticism anyway, but PIM systems, you know, they Early on, they were very competitive, and they may they they still are somewhat. And they wanted to, you know, fence in again what their system. So that, but they've got. I think the PEM system that will win the future is the one that's integratable and interoperable. Yeah, and that's the I, one I in agree. the end that's going to win. And right now, the ones that have, are winning or have been winning is the ones that feel like they hoard. You have to use me, and that's not the yeah. last. So that's going to be a big change. I think. Well, I think you're right too. And I also think as there's these other companies that come up with new technologies that are really good and that people want to use, um, I think that that the the PIM system that wins is the one that allows that kind of integration and lets you pull these new things in and use them because you know it's uh you can see in practices where they say, Well, I've got this this classic system and it doesn't use the the interesting thing that my friends are using in their practice and we're not able to do that. And yeah. I, I think you're probably spot on. It goes back to your point about adaptability, doesn't it? It really does and you know there are some examples of that already with the cloud 
those that, yeah. that didn't have a cloud, now they do have a cloud. There's a lot of migration towards the cloud. Just one tiny example of that. People are going to go where it's better. And I, I want to tell you one example. This was a number of years ago. The principle applies, but, you know, this is a time ago. Um, there, I, I know there were some concerns about we couldn't get anybody to buy my practice. And so I was mm-hmm. at, this is again a number of years ago, and I was I was at this meeting, and it was uh, the AVMA and the AAVMC, and they had student reps there. So, and this was a, a very loudly expressed concern: nobody will buy my practice, et cetera. So I went and sat with the students, and I said, "Say, tell me about that." And they said, "Oh, yeah, well, here's the thing: we don't mind buying a practice, but it's antiquated." The equipment's outdated, doesn't even have, you know, it just doesn't even have uh, digital records. It's still all paper medical record system. What is there to buy? And so I know that's outdated. Most people don't do that anymore. But when are the ones today going to be outdated and not going to be sold because there's so much more? And I think we need to be mindful of that. Yeah, no, I think that that I think that's a great point. I love where your head's at. I love your positivity about the future. I love your optimism about technology. Uh, just it's so refreshing, and you and I are so in alignment in that regard. Uh, Doctor Green, uh, where can people find you online? Where can they learn more? I love that you're writing. Um, but yeah, where can uh, where can people who want to see more about your adventures kind of find you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can find me there, and I'd love to link up. I link up with several every day. Um, my uh, the email address is dreleanorgreen at gmail.com. That's all lowercase, no dots, and it's D-R-E-L-E-A-N-O-R-G-R-E-E-N at gmail.com. So um, perfect. Yeah, that's the main the main two. Uh, I'm on Facebook, but but I would say go to LinkedIn rather than Facebook. So, you know, it's amazing how uh, how often guests uh, are, are on LinkedIn and, and, and not the other social media. So it's definitely it definitely seems to be a, a common place where we can find people today. Anyway, thank you so much for being here. Gang, thanks a lot for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. Take care of yourselves, everybody. And that's what I got for you. That's uh, that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks to Dr. Eleanor Green for being here. I can't wait to see how her new deanship goes and the start of her new vet school. I am uh, absolutely rooting for her and, and the vision that she sort of has for education in the future. Anyway, guys, thanks for being here. If you enjoyed the podcast, leave us an honest review wherever you get your podcast. It means the world to me. It's how people find us. And I hope to talk to you again in the future. Take care of yourselves, everybody. I will talk to you soon. Bye.